Hello, and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. You can find the Katie Halper Show on iTunes, where you can rate and view us, and we, of course, hope that you will do that with a positive review. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Katie Halps. It's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. Please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show for extended interviews and bonus episodes. And on this episode, I play a live radio show that I did. Oh, by the way, we're going to be taking calls from you guys the second half of the show. And the call number is 212-209-2877. Again, that's 212-209-2877. We'll, be asked, we'll give you a chance to ask questions to uh, our guests. And speaking of our guests, on today's episode, we're very excited, I'm very excited, to speak to Daniel Denver, who is the host of Jacobin's The Dig podcast and the author of All American Nativism, which is coming out from Verso. But before we speak to Daniel, I'm here in the studio with return offender, return guest, Karina Moreno, who is an incoming professor at Hunter. Not Hunter as in hunter-gatherer, but hunter she's College. Hunter College. She's about to join uh, next year. She's at, at she's at LIU now, but she's joining Hunter next year, and her, she focuses on, on immigration and security policy. So welcome. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be back. Yay. So Karina's been on the show before to talk about immigration, and um, there's so much that's happened recently. Well, every day there's stuff that happens with the... Uh, with Donald Trump around immigration, but this weekend especially, we saw some good mm-hmm. stuff, some bad stuff, the good, the bad, the ugly. Could you give us a little bit of a roundup? Sure. So, that was there, a poor choice of words, by the way. Sorry about that. <laughs> there are a couple of good things that happened, um, actually, which is surprising under this administration. It's not very often that we get to do that or we get to say that. But, um, I would I would say there were two recent developments this week that are positive and um, and we should uh, mention. So first of all, I would mention the um, the ruling against of the Trump migrant protection protocol policy. Migrants who wanted to request uh, a petition for asylum status. Um, they wanted to keep them in Mexico. So they would have these asylum seekers um, stay in Mexico for the duration of of that process um, without being able to enter the United States. A federal judge ruled that down, and it will not be enacted as of April 12th. It will not, um, yeah, it won't be able to to be put into practice, which is good, which is good news. There's been a a whole lot of... uh, rhetoric and and imagery that we've seen in regard to the migrant caravans that are coming from um, Central America. And actually, I'm, I'm very glad to say that the the federal judge ruled, you know, and said under the law, migrants have the right to petition for asylum once they're on U.S. soil. So that means that what Trump was trying to do was prevent people from coming to the United States. They'd have to apply for asylum from the country that they were in, Mm -hmm. which, of course, if you're saying that you're seeking asylum because you're living in a violent country where you'll be killed, it's probably not that convenient to um, have to do that from the country that you're trying to flee, right? Right. So, and plus it would set... It's not convenient. Right. Right. Yeah. 
it it would just set more precedent of trying to use Mexico as a buffer of keeping migrants out. Yeah. Um, and you know the the sort of negative thing that I would say though is that we continue to see the conflation between asylum seekers um, and the term illegal immigration, mm -hmm. which it's not against the law to come to the U.S. border and petition for asylum. Um, you're fleeing. Uh, danger. You are essentially saying that if you do not flee, you are going to die, and that's you know that's what you're you're trying to you're trying to enter the U.S. in, uh, in for protection. Right. Um, so that's the the one thing that I would that I would mention. That's not good. That we keep seeing the conflation of asylum seekers and illegal immigration. They keep you you know they are used synonymously, and that's they're not the same. Right. There is a very big distinction between them um but as i said it's it's sort of uh you know a couple of things that we have that we can say are are positive outcomes right relatively speaking mm -hmm. right so that's good um thank you for thank you courts right the courts have been one of the most powerful opposition to yes. uh donald trump and that's and his agenda and that's related to the second positive piece that I would mention. So just this week also, uh, we had a federal judge also rule against uh, including a citizenship question on the next census. So there's been a lot of talk about the next census, which is in 2020. And the Trump administration had been uh, speaking about including a question that would ask uh, participants if they were citizens of the U.S. And Thankfully, a federal judge ruled against that and said the whole point of the census, as it is in the Constitution, is to get um, a real count of people who are living in the U.S. And there is, you know, the, the opinion basically says there's no way in this political climate with so much anti-immigrant rhetoric that immigrants would participate in the census, right. um, given the insecurity that they feel. And... Um What is the significance of having them in the census? Why does that even matter? Well, this then, uh, it's, it's really important. It determines uh, uh, resources that are allocated by the federal government. A lot of it goes for education. A lot of it goes for public infrastructure. Um, so you would see immigrant communities basically uh, not receive allocations that right. they should. Right. Um, you and I, before you came on the radio, were talking about how this narrative of the immigrant as the, as a mooch. Um, so even just now, you said it's important to um, have the right number for the census, in part so that they get the resources. Right, for schools, for roads, for, um, you know, uh, police departments, how many, uh, yeah, it's, it's right. public spending that is necessary. This is, you know, otherwise, this is when schools don't have capacity and have overcrowded uh, classrooms and, and don't have enough teachers and don't have enough budget to, to staff the schools accordingly. Right. Every single uh, research that's looked at, you know, how, how much uh, the state spends on immigrants and, and how much they contribute, they've found that actually they contribute to growing economies right. because they're working um, and so forth. Right. Um, WBI, gotta love it. Here, you hear the, the, that ambient noise of people who work here. It really creates a mom-and-pop aesthetic. <laughs> We're not like other uh, radio stations. And what about uh, the bad news? Yes, we have some, 
we have something to to be alarmed about. The uh, Department of Homeland Security Secretary resigning. Um, so as of April 10th, her resignation is effective. Not to say that this is a person that we support. Right, at um, all, right. But the the reason why this is bad news is the Trump administration has very plainly said they're looking to go in a tougher direction. And they had a sort of tension with um, how they enforced the zero tolerance policy that essentially, you know, was was the attorney general's idea. Um, and I'm guessing that led to some to some tension between them. And as I as, as I mentioned to you before the show, um, we were talking about how the how Secretary Nielsen had an address last month in which she was discussing the the highest threat that the U.S. is facing right now. And the entire address was about cybersecurity. Right. And so that message does not align at all with the message of the Trump administration, right. which is really focused on maintaining this this uh, narrative of the top threat being national security uh, at the border and and national security in the sense of counterterrorism um, and and you know that her, her cybersecurity message doesn't align with that at all so I'm guessing this this contributed to to the the shift in in administration staffing. Right. So just to, to explain, I mean, to elaborate on what you were saying, it's kind of scary that this woman who is hardly a champion of immigrant rights, children went, went missing or lost track of. This is not some like social justice minded woman. There's, um, yeah, no, there there is complete lack of humanity right. in the practices right. of this administration so far. But she's too soft on immigrants for yes, Trump. Yes, we need we need someone tougher. Right. Um yeah, I, I think this has, again, something to do with the caravan and the migrants. Uh, they were not able to to keep their policy of, of having people have, who are seeking asylum stay in Mexico. So I think this is a complete nightmare for them. Right. Something that I think people don't really understand is that because we think of Mexico as a country that people come from, I think that people don't really understand the role of Mexico in um, as you said, as, as a buffer. Mm -hmm. um, I remember I didn't understand this at all. In high school, I didn't understand this at all until I saw the movie El Norte. El Norte. El Norte. By Gregory Nava. And it's about immigrants from fleeing Guatemala. And they go through Mexico. They traveled thousands of miles to get to a new land. And so Mexico is so much better for them than Guatemala was. Anyway, it's not a real story, but it's based on, I mean, real stories. Inspired by a dream. But can you explain that, the role of Mexico? Because I do think that there's this, you know, from here we just see it as all of Spanish-speaking world <laughs> coming right. in here. Right. Yeah. There is a history of the U.S., uh, of, you know, a collaboration and a partnership between the U.S. and Mexico in which the U.S., allocates uh, tremendous resources and money and, and funding and equipment, um, even military equipment, uh, to Mexico so that Mexico can enforce immigration laws on behalf of the U.S., essentially acting as a buffer. So sort of uh, intercepting migrants that want to come from 
uh, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, um, since they do come through Mexico, the, the whole plan, the, you know, the strategic direction there was, well, let's have Mexico intercept them and, and deport them. Um, so that way it, it's, it saves the U.S. the problem of them even arriving here. This is a political compromise, right? You want to maintain relations with, with the U.S. You want to maintain a goodwill with the U.S. because uh, our economy is essentially dependent on the, the American economy. Right. And just reading from Democracy Now! because they often do have great headlines. Um, back when I was on, my show was on later, I like to call this Democracy Later. We're still democracy later, though, because we're later than, than Amy Goodman's time. But, um, so, as you were saying, Kirsten Nielsen steps down as mm-hmm. um, Department of Homeland Security Secretary, but she doesn't really step down. She's kind of eased, pushed out. The government has announced that it may take two years to reunite separated migrant families. Trump attacks migrants, Rep, uh, Rep. Omar, in speech to conservative Jewish group. In Arizona, a man dies in ICE custody after exhibiting flu symptoms. Trump threatens Mexico with auto tariffs over migration. Migrants say Mexico is denying humanitarian visas under U.S. pressure. 280 arrested in Texas ICE raid as Trump heads to border. Um, right. So you can see that yeah. Homeland Security and ICE and the Customs and Border Patrol are in no way... Um, dormant or you know soft uh, in in their day-to-day activities right. there's a lot going on right. um so the the staffing change and and the tone that they are trying to set of even tougher on immigration is is quite alarming right and this again nielsen is someone who separated families and put children in cages. They're not cages. What are they? Areas of the border facility that are carved out for the safety and protection of those who remain there while they're being processed. What is a um, chain link fence enclosed into a, um, a chamber on a concrete uh, floor represent to you? Is that a cage? It's a detention space, ma'am, that you know has existed for decades. Does it differ from the cages you put your dogs in when you let them stay outside? Is it, a, is it different? It, it, yes. In what sense? Uh, it's larger. It has facilities. Uh, it provides room to sit, to stand, to lay down. So and did my dog's cage. Yeah. But she's too soft. And they're, I mean, they have a horrible, they, they, they have no way of keeping track of which, you know, children and, and their family members. To your knowledge, uh, are you aware of uh, family members who've been separated from their children and deported back to a country without their children? Yes, sir. This is why the children get lost, so to speak, because there are n- they don't keep uh, accurate records of who is where. Right. And uh, the person who's um, apparently behind a lot of these um, the firings is Stephen Miller. And what's really interesting is that Stephen Miller's uncle, he wrote an op-ed last year and is appearing on, and appeared on CNN and is now appearing on Democracy Now!, for instance, and he says... But as I say, I felt it was, uh, it was incumbent upon me to, to raise my voice to let people know that this is a country of immigrants and our family were immigrants. In fact, we were refugees. Uh, if, uh, if my ancestors had not uh, immigrated to the United States when they did, if they'd waited a few more years till 1924, the door would have been shut. My parents would have gone up the uh, crematoria chimney, 
uh, I wouldn't have been born, my sister wouldn't have been born, and certainly Stephen wouldn't be, would never have existed. Stephen Miller wouldn't exist if, if Stephen Miller's um, policies were imposed. And, um, right, but this is completely, they, they don't have any trouble reconciling this because these are completely different things right. in, in their mind. It, it, they don't see themselves as, oh, I, I'm an immigrant myself. Right, Pe- right, right, People right, that yeah. are brown, people that right. are uh, in poverty, people right. that are, they don't, no. You, yeah, you even see that with, um, with like the never again uh, mantra vis-a-vis the Holocaust, which is, of course, very good, potentially, but it's, it's, good, it's good when it's applied to everyone, not when it's just applied to Jews. Right. Um, which sometimes it is. I mean, th- of course, there's a tradition of intersectional Jewish resistance, so I, I want to be clear about that. <laughs> but I'd say that the APAC narrative, and APAC, again, is a very powerful lobby, which doesn't represent most Jews. It's not the mainstream, but it's very powerful. So it, it mm-hmm. looks like it's, and it's very vocal, so it looks like it represents Jews. It doesn't, but they certainly can can make it uh, never again for Jews and not connect it to the the lives and death of other people who are seeking asylum. Yes. So there's a complete disconnect. Right. Yeah. Anything else that we want to review before we bring on our, um, our next guest? We're going to talk about, uh, Bernie, right? San San Bernardo. (laughs) Yeah. That's me. Not, not, not Karina calling that. (laughs) Karina, I never know how, what, what way to say the name so people understand it. Um, so we are going to speak to our next guest, Daniel Denver. And um, a very exciting thing is that you can call in, guys. You can call in if you want to ask Karina questions or Daniel questions. And now we're taking a short musical break. The song Deportee, or Plane Wreck at Los Gatos, which was written by uh, Woody Guthrie. The lyrics were by Woody Guthrie. The composer of the music was Martin Hoffman. It's about a true story about a plane crash in 1948 um, where uh, 32 people were killed four Americans and 28 migrant farm workers um, who were being, sorry, who were being deported from California back to Mexico. They were workers here and they were being deported back to Mexico and they were killed. What happened? The crops are all in, the peaches are rotting, the oranges are piled in their creosote dumps. They're flying you back to the Mexico border to pay all your money to wade back again. My father's own father, he waded that river. They took all the money he made in his life. My brothers and sisters, they work in the fruit trees. They rolled the truck till they took down it. Goodbye to my one, goodbye Rosalita, adios mis amigos, Jesus Maria, you won't have a name when you ride the big airplane, and all they will call you will be deportees. Some of us are illegal, some are not wanted. Six hundred miles to 
died in your hills We died on your deserts And we died in your mountains We died on your plains We've died neath your trees And we've died in your bushes Both sides of the river We've died just the same Goodbye to my Hello and welcome back to the Katie Helper Show. I'm your host, Katie Helper, and that was the song Deportee, or Plane Wreck at Los Gatos. The lyrics were by Woody Guthrie. The composer of the music was Martin Hoffman, and that version um, was by Arlo Guthrie, Woody Guthrie's son, and Emmylou Harris. We are now going to be talking to Daniel Denver, who is the host of Jacobin's The Dig podcast, and he's also the author of the forthcoming book, which you can check out at Verso, um, which is called All American Nativism. So, Daniel, are you there? Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Welcome to the show. You're making your Katie Helper Show debut. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It's an honor. (laughs) This is a game changer. I just want to say, game changer. Big things are going to happen. Brianna Joy Gray did the Katie Helper Show. She's now, you know, Bernie's press secretary. I don't want to get your hopes up too high. Sky but is the limit. Sky is the limit. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna get that Katie Helper show bump. Hey, Karina, you're you're you got you got a great job. You see, <laughs> right? Um, and you know David Sirota, of course. Anyway, um, I'm being self-deprecating, but you probably know that. So, so Daniel, you um, wrote a an op-ed for the New York Times in February called "The Case Against Border Security: Voters Want More Open Borders, Not a Smart Wall. Democrats Should Listen." Um, but you also went on a Twitter, I was going to say a Twitter rant, but that's, I'm projecting, my things are much more rant-like. You were, you're, you're very calm and collected. You, you engaged in a Twitter thread, um, and everyone can, can check it out, <laughs> at Daniel Denver, um, D-E-N-V-I-R is the last name, and you responded to some comments that Bernie Sanders made. So could you just set up what the Bernie Sanders comments were, and then your response to it? Yeah, so... Um... Bernie, when he was in Iowa, was he was asked about uh, his support for open borders, uh, which he doesn't support um, by by a voter, I believe. And he responded, I'm afraid you may be getting your information wrong. I think what we need is comprehensive immigration reform. Oh, my God, there's a lot of poverty in this world and you're going to have people from all over the world. And I don't think that's something that we can do at this point. Can't do it. Um, he said, referring to open borders. And I think he uh, said more yeah, actually, I, can't, can't do it. Can't do it. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, <laughs> we you. got in the Bernie you, voice. Yeah. You're in New York, so I'll leave the New York accents to you. <laughs> and so, so he was, he was uh, clarifying that he was for immigration reform, but not for open borders. And um, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that his comment was was bad and unnecessary. Um, I don't think, I think that there's this framework that's been set up by right-wing nativists, you hear it from people in the Trump's circle all the time, that you're basically, you know, answer the question, are you for open borders or not? And I think Bernie sort of played into it by being like, no, I, I'm not, and here's what open borders would do. 
And so first of all, that's not what open borders would do. And second of all, uh, you know, even though I would like open borders, I would also like worker control of the means of production. I'm not advocating that Bernie needs to advocate either worker ownership of control of the entire means of production or open borders. But I do think that he should stay away from uh, echoing um, reactionary criticisms of open borders and instead um, argue that that the open borders question is a, a trap and a distraction, which is precisely what I think it is. And instead, I think that there has been a huge partisan polarization around immigration, which is good news um, because there was a bipartisan consensus for decades, both both on the, the, the level of politicians and on the level of public opinion, which really supported um, pretty harsh measures against, you know, quote unquote, illegal immigrants. And that started to, to break down in the 2000s, very much accelerated under Obama and has really, you know, just fractured wide open under Trump and ordinary Democratic voters and people left of center uh, now support some of the most uh, pro-immigrant views, like perhaps in American history. So I think that Bernie is such a leader on pushing the, the conversation out of its conventional confines on so many issues. And I think any leader on the left should should be doing just that. And the way to do that on immigration is that we can make uh, you know, what we might think of as radical reform arguments about how to make the border more open. Because what this open border question does is obscure the reality that particularly since the early 1990s, over the last three decades, we've witnessed a just really in very dramatic militarization of the U.S.-Mexico border. The border is nothing like what it was for the majority of U.S. history. We've nearly quintupled the size of the border patrol to reaching like around 20,000. I'm not sure what the, the, the most up-to-date numbers are. We've built hundreds of miles of border wall since 2006. Um, and so this open border question serves to both invisibilize and naturalize the status quo, which is actually quite new, quite barbaric, and quite messed up. Um, and I think, I think that it's up to politicians like him to make an argument about a more open border. You know, for example, like there are, most people don't know that, uh, the end of the, this system's racist immigration laws, formerly racist immigration laws in 1965 was followed by a system that was formally race blind, but, or nationality blind, but gave Mexico the same, for example, the same number of slots, visa slots as Bhutan. Uh, you know, like Mexico, we have a very different relationship with Mexico historically, including that U.S. cap, including that uh, U.S. imperialism took uh, about half their territory in the mid 19th century, and then thereafter that U.S. capital colonized Mexico, including by recruiting masses of Mexican farm laborers, um, both in the early 20th century and then through the Bracero program, which lasted in, from you know World War II through the through the 1960s, and so there's this long history there. Uh, the U.S. government and capital is deeply implicated in the creation of Mexican migration patterns. Um, and so if people don't want, you know, Mexicans, for, exam for example, coming here um, without uh, authorization, then there need to be sufficient legal pathways for people to come and join their families. Um, you know, we should be talking about dismantling the border wall that already exists. We should definitely be insisting on the right for people to seek 
asylum, particularly from Central America, a region that is falling into utter violent chaos and, and, and deep poverty for a variety of reasons, including climate change that the U.S. has played a key role in causing, and, of course, Reagan's dirty wars, which Bernie knows very well as someone who stood in solidarity with Central American revolutionaries. So, anyways, I think he can do a lot better. <laughs> so, yeah, just so people know where uh, Daniel's coming from, and they probably have an idea about where he's coming from since I'm having him on my show. Um, but he says, you wrote in this Twitter thread, we must push Bernie, but, all caps, but, but he is already easily the best Democratic primary candidate on immigration. He voted against 2006 Secure Fence Act, unlike Obama, Clinton, and Biden. He voted against the 2007 reform bill that included draconian enforcement and a guest worker program. Voted against 1996 Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act, which greatly expanded power to detain and deport. He was one of just 87 members of House to vote no on catastrophic illegal immigration reform and Immigration Responsibility Act, HRIRA. And uh, he stood, as you just said, stood in solidarity with Central American revolutionaries during the 1980s. Uh, it was the U.S.-backed dirty wars, the murderous and even genocidal destruction of those revolutions that uh, is at the root of today's migration crisis. Bernie must do better on immigration, and he can. So this is a from within, a criticism from within, constructive criticism for Bernie Sanders. Oh, yeah. And I don't think we see enough of this. Um, and, you know, for some understandable reasons, I wrote in a different thread because I immediately saw I got to, I got like three different sorts of responses um, after the tweet really tweet thread really took off. Um, you know, one was from some sort of protective Bernie Kratz who are like, you know, uh, how dare do you not do not criticize the senator from Vermont. Right. <laughs> and, then, um, <laughs> and it's like, yo, I'm I'm pretty down for Bernie 2020. Um, and uh, and then the other um responses were from kind of more establishment liberals. And there were two. There was one that just seemingly just read the first um, uh, tweet in the thread, which was Bernie's comments on open borders was bad, basically. And they were like, yep, there's Bernie again, you know, doing his old white guy thing. And it's like, ah, that's actually not not what I'm arguing. Um, and, and, And then the other one was like attacking, you know, me for for defending um Bernie, even though it was a critical, you know, a constructively critical thread. And there's this kind of like destructive and self-reinforcing dynamics when any criticism from the left, from Bernie supporters, um, uh, is, is immediately, um, sort of leveraged or exploited by, by, by neoliberal shills, um, to, to bolster, you know, whatever, monstrous candidate deeply committed to the dystopian status quo that they support. Um, and that's not good, but, but, but we can't let them force us not to have push Bernie on stuff. Cause guess what? If he's president, like he's going to need us to push him on stuff. Bernie's not, Bernie's not like a saint or a God. He has shortcomings. Um, you know, I think particularly he could do better on the way he connects race and class issues. I think, you know, but, but that said, he's still better. He's still right. Record, right. Still far yeah, exactly. Better. Like don't, t- don't criticize him for that stuff when you're defending Hillary Clinton's well, breaking up the banks and racism. No, <laughs> like you just have no cred, you know, I don't want to hear from you. And, and then oh, well, someone responded to your um, thing. This woman, I don't even want to read her name, but she said very passive aggressively. These mistakes sure are adding up eh? First of all, I'm, if she's Canadian, maybe that's okay. And then you, res- you responded, how about read the whole thread? And she was like, dude, I'm agreeing. Also saying immigration is one of a number of subjects that Bernie has had less than ideal takes. 
Um, you're missing the preposition, yeah. by the way, on which he had less than ideal takes. Anyway, and then she throws in a gif. But, you know, and then I, I did not to, you know, I did say, dude, you're not agreeing with him. You're a Hillary supporter and a Bernie basher. Daniel's a Sanders supporter offering an honest critique, eh? Um, and, uh, yes. So, uh, and then we'll, we'll go through your advice for Bernie and if you, because you say what Bernie should say. And if you want, I can read it so you have you understand what it would sound like coming from Bernie. But Karina, what do you have um, to, how do you respond to this? Um, I, I, I think we should mention one other thing. So the question, you know, that, that came up, it came up in the context of how are we going to manage social services? How are we going to manage healthcare um, if we have migrants and if we have open borders? So the whole open borders comment came out of this context um, related to social services and, and welfare and, and and all of that. So that already plays into a, a huge, um, a huge, you know, uh, tool Trope. that that is that works really well for the right that, you know, in, in talking and framing our arguments this way just reinforces it. Um, but in talking about the whole welfare myth and, right. and, you know, immigrants will come if we if we do have better health care than, you know, what's going to help us from all the migrants that are going to come uh, right. pouring over the border to to take everything to leech that they off can. of us. Right. Um, so I think that's something in, important to mention as well. And so what and so you're saying that Bernie uh, or one not I mean, people in general need to respond by clarifying what or, or how would you like to see people respond to to, to that conflation? So, I mean, one of the things that we need to be careful with is not letting the discourse uh, divide us between us and them, because mm -hmm. that's, a, right. again, that's the language and the political framing of the right. And the right has always been more effective in the language that they've used to frame political discourse. Yeah. Um, so it's become sort of a standard throughout the country to frame uh, topics in this language. So, again, by associating healthcare and social services with, with immigrants, we're reinforcing that, that link. Right. The zero-sum game, um, right? And, yes, and reinforcing this culture of exclusion that, again, goes back to us and them. Yeah. And there is no winning for the left if we, if we use this language, right? We, we don't... Um, and the thing I like about Daniel's piece is he... he uh, refers to George Lakoff, and right. I think there is, you know, uh, I think there are a number of, of of points from George Lakoff's work on on moral politics that, and he's you know, a linguistics yeah. uh, professor. Yeah. yeah, you know, he says there is no such thing as neutral concepts or neutral language. To use a language is to reinforce it. So. Um, already the left is at a disadvantage in any public discourse because so much of what is standard is is you know, the political framing of, of the right. Right. Um, can you, sorry, can you be loud? Uh, can you speak up, Daniel? Sorry, we, you're not as loud as you were before. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, can, can, you, can you hear me? Yeah, now? although you're good, better? you're being a good white male ally, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. I do my best. Yeah. <laughs> um, what Karina was saying before, I think, is absolutely correct, and I think we need to emphasize that in the 1990s, when the new nativist movement that were still, you know, that really like comes into full force with Trump entering office, when it really, when it really takes off in California with Proposition 187, this virulently anti-immigrant uh, bill in uh, I think 1994, um, it is it is really around this idea of kind of fiscal conservative nativism around around around. Uh, 
immigrants in California um, uh, using up public services, you know, leech, you know, mooching off of welfare, you know, this whole thing. And it's not a, it's not an accident that that happens at the same time as as as, as the as the black welfare queen is being demonized in the run up to welfare reform, the destruction of welfare as we knew it. And uh, the, the, these two things are, are, are really one in the same part of, you know, demonizing the society between uh, makers and takers in the libertarian parlance in this heavily racialized way. So, um, you know, like like Karina said, we can't we cannot play into that discourse. And um, I just so I just want to give listeners a chance again, write down this number that you can call soon. I'm going to do we're going to I'm going to read something that Daniel tweeted, but get ready, guys, to call 212-209-2877. Again, that's 212-209-2877. And so Daniel said in this Twitter thread, um, when Bernie is asked about open borders, he needs to respond, wrong question. In the last three decades, we have nearly quintupled the size of our border patrol and built hundreds of miles of border wall, a measure that I voted against in 2006. In doing so, we have militarized the border beyond recognition, which has caused thousands of migrant deaths in the desert and harmed millions in borderlands communities. People have told me that they don't want to live in a police state and don't want to be cut off from their Mexican sister cities, to which <laughs> they have such deep, long-standing social and economic ties. We have trumped it in part because we have had decades of scapegoating undocumented immigrants for the harms caused by an economy and a government controlled by the one percent for their exclusive benefit (laughs) so bernie we hope you're listening to that because we just i just translated it into new yorkese for you also um and then so yeah let's take some questions do we have any callers on the line yes good afternoon good good morning (laughs) good morning Eh, either way okay i just wanted to say this about immigration uh, when the economy goes in a tailspin, what the plutocrats and the oligarchs do to distract us, what they do is put the emphasis on the, um, the immigrants. But right. it's not the immigrants, it's how the people at the top are taking everything out of the top, and the politicians are bought and paid for, so they use them to try to reframe the issue. But the problem is this whole system, you know, it just needs to be, they need to be, it needs to be more just. Yeah. The immigration or the so-called immigrants. And by the way, the guy in the White House, his grandfather's an immigrant. Right. Why, how they treated his father. So right, that, yeah. Let me let someone else get on and say, express their opinion. Thank you very much. Thank you so me. much. Thank you. Daniel, do you want to take that? I mean, that's a very important and well put point. Uh, immigrants are are both functionally in a non-conspiratorial way used as a scapegoat for the, the you know misery imposed by neoliberalism but also quite like conspiratorially as well <laughs> there's this amazing Rahm Emanuel memo uh, to Clinton in, in 1996 um, where he basically he says pretty clearly that to quiet or placate public opposition to NAFTA that there needs to be these like spectacular, crackdowns, these spectacular public punishments of, of, quote, illegal immigrants. He wrote, he writes, quote, we should be honest that if we want continued public support for trade and friendly relations with Mexico, we must be vigilant in our effort to curb illegal trade, e.g. narcotics and immigrants. So the drug wars there too, which is all tied into the, the border militarization. Right. So, right, so, and you, you tweet, it's no coincidence NAFTA was accompanied by a massive crackdown on elite, quote-unquote, illegal immigration, where Rahm Emanuel put it clearly, 
to Clinton in a 1996 memo the U.S. they believed had to crack down on illegal immigrants to quiet opposition to free trade. Right, which is which goes back to what the caller just said about divide and conquer, right, um, and scapegoat. So in order to, to pass something like NAFTA, they have to provide people with a scapegoat instead yeah. of, you know, blaming Clinton. It's or, always been a huge political opportunity, unfortunately, um, to manipulate this image of uh, something that's out of control, right? The, the border and uh, quote unquote uh, illegal immigrants. I hate saying yeah. using that term. Um, but that's what they but, say. They don't say undocumented, obviously. Right. Yeah. So th- that's always been a very political, manipulative way um, to to garner support. Right. And we can go back to California as well in the 1990s when Prop 187 really takes off amidst a you know post Cold War recession in California. And Pete Wilson, who really, as far as I understand, did not pay much attention, the governor of Cal- Republican governor of California, as far as I understand, did not pay much attention to the issue before, but he sees it as a real opportunity and he hitches his, his re-election campaign successfully to Prop 187 and exploits it. The same thing happens in Arizona with uh, Governor Jan Brewer. She was oh, not going to win re-election her. and then she gained so much popularity and support after she uh, you know, was so vocal about a Senate Bill 1070. Um, so, Which was yes. what made it like uh, you had to have papers, right? Show The show me your papers right. Uh, law, right? And so uh, and they, people yeah. in power understand uh, that, you know, that the public has this sort of anxiety about uh, the, you know, the, the vulnerability of, of the border and, you know, someone coming in to take right. something that's yours. So they play on that and, and they do it really well. Right. And weirdly enough, it happens with Joe Arpaio, too, the Maricopa County Sheriff. In the mid-2000s, he's actually just like a non-nativist, non-xenophobic, sadist sheriff, law and order guy. More equal Um, opportunity. Immigration's not an issue. He's just running these, like, brutal desert, you know, camps for everyone. Baking people alive, literally, yeah. And and then this, uh, this guy... Um, does like a citizen's vigilante arrest of people he suspects of being undocumented immigrants. And Arpaio speaks out against it, saying like, this is a lawless action. But the, but there's a massive groundswell of right-wing public support for this guy. And that's the moment when Arpaio, who's, you know, a smart political tactician and strategist, is like, okay, I'm going to be the most anti-immigrant guy ever. Mm-hmm. Wow. So uh, Arpaio, the civil libertarian, <laughs> relative to where he is uh-huh. now. Um, so I think that something, and this is for both of you, I think that something the left does sometimes is we overly vilify people who are kind of being played. Um, and I, this is probably unpopular to say, but to me, it's like, if you don't under, if you're not very politically educated and you see people, um, from other countries coming into the country and you, your wages are going down, Right. It's not because of that, as the caller explained, but it's I totally understand how someone sees it that way. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we cancel people. We right. just say they're racist, um, they're xenophobes. And I'm not there. There is that often. And something I don't I don't agree with Obama a lot. But he actually said um, the other day, I think he was in Berlin and he said something about like we can't dismiss all people who are have uh, immigration anxiety as racists. I mean, there's two issues. One is a moral issue, but certainly I don't think we can strategically. Mm-hmm. So how do we make the how do we do a better job of explaining this to people? 
Um, I mean, I, I think by pointing out who the real enemy is, and I agree with you, like we need to take racism very seriously, but we need to think of it in in political, systematic and structural terms and not just the way sort of like, uh, you know, wealthy establishment liberals do, which is that it's a bunch of rednecks with like bad ideas in their head like that. Mm-hmm. that that's where racism comes a from. A basket of deplorables. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kari, what do you think? Uh, I think that we should politicize national security. I think that mm. we should say this, you know, this national security, so the Department of Defense, the military, and Homeland Security, this is a $1.2 trillion budget. Um, and so when someone asks, how are we going to manage health care? Um, right. If we have open borders, we can say, well, actually, we have plenty uh, of of tax dollars that are, are being spent um, on on security that is not necessarily resulting in, in a, it does not make the country safer. Um, and, and you know, I, I looking at Homeland Security, looking at the Department of Homeland Security and looking at Customs and Border Patrol, about 85% of their budgets, and these are billion dollar budgets, are handed over to private contractors. Mm, wow. So... Yeah, this is you know billions of dollars are being handed over to, to private industries, private corporations, um, under the guise of nas- national security, and we're still asking how we're going to pay right, for stuff. Right, yield uh, the proverbial. How, how are you going to pay for? How it? are we going to pay right. for uh, healthcare? You know, right. if we have improved healthcare, then uh, how are we going to right. manage? Uh, Which is never asked about war, right? Exactly. No one asks that question when we're trying to invade a country. Or um, we have another phone call, another caller. Hello, hi. Welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Oh, thank you. Uh, that's a great show. Oh, thanks. thanks. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, you, you're right. Uh, capitalism has been using dividing to conquer forever. Yeah. Actually, slavery. They even yeah. divided the slaves to keep them from getting together and then toppling them. And so that fear has remained with them forever because they fear of losing their ill-gotten mm. wealth. They right. fear of not being that special because everybody else can get what they have, so they won't feel that special. Even Hillary, when she called uh, the people who support Trump uh, deplorable, right. she's in that class too because yeah. she has no empathy for people who are so desperate that they're drowning, so they attach themselves to every branch that they find. That's a even, really poetic uh, way of putting it. Yeah, even the back of a crocodile or uh, uh, any snake will feel good because they're drowning. Right. So they are totally just, uh, they, they don't know what's going on, and they feel like they're drowning. So th- th- this is what's been going on. So you know that the system is uh, using women, uh, or not, not just women, right. you, human beings as shells. They mm-hmm. just take your life force and then throw the carcass at. That's what they're doing forever. That's why even their kids who have some means, they are getting into opioid uh, right. Because they have the means, but unfortunately, as you know, uh, uh, Maslow has said that we have basic needs, the needs the need for food, shelter, and then the needs to feel important right. in your society. What, important. What's your name, by the way? You should come on the show. What's your name? <laughs> My name is Jocelyn. Jocelyn, yeah. I've many shows on BAI. <laughs> and where are you from, by the way, originally? I was born in Haiti. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you, yeah. that, that's an, so you have an interesting perspective on this, too. Thank you very much. Yeah. I've been I've lived under dictatorship so right. and 
supported by the empire of the United States. So I've known this empire for a long time before I came here. Right. They, there's nothing that they do that surprises me. That's when they do something nice that I say, oh, this is something nice. <laughs> right, right. And you, you cannot count it. And so you, this, yeah, sorry. Uh, and that's my problem with Bernie. Bernie put us under the Democrats again. I like his perspective. Uh, and he makes people, uh, the working class, understand that socialism is their friend. But it was under the bus of so-called democracy. That's my only problem with him. Oh, you want him to stay independent? Oh, yeah. Yeah. To have a third party that is really a working uh, a working people's party, not uh, uh, this so-called Democrats and Republicans that are playing good cop and bad right. cop. All right. I, Bernie, I hope you're listening. to. We've got a bunch of good messages for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually have to wrap up um, because it's the end of the show, but this was so fun, and I'm so glad that we got to take um, questions from callers. Um, Daniel, uh, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me, I guess, at my own website and the pod, or actually just look up The Dig on whatever, wherever you get podcasts, uh, D-I-G, and uh, yeah, check it out. <laughs> and Karina? Uh, I am on Twitter at... Kari in Brooklyn, so K-A-R-Y-I-N, Brooklyn. Great. And you are listening to the Katie Helper Show. You can hear the Katie Helper Show every Tuesday at 11 a.m. on WBAI. That's 99.5 FM or WBAI.org. You can find me on Twitter if you have any questions at KT Helps. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. Also look for the Katie Helper Show Facebook page. And um, thank you so much for joining us, Daniel Denver and Karina Moreno. We will see you next week. And I'm going to leave you guys with uh, the rest of that great song, very moving song, Deportee, um, as sung by Emmylou Harris and Arlo Guthrie. Please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show for extended interviews and bonus episodes. Also, save the date, May 10th, the Katie Halper Show and Struggle Session, which is the podcast hosted by Leslie Lee and Jack Allison. We will be doing a joint show a joint taping at Littlefield in Brooklyn and our guests will be Matt Taibbi Jamie Peck of the podcast The Antifada and Jake Flores of Pod Damn America so again May 10th save the date Littlefield um, tickets aren't the link isn't up yet for tickets but it will be soon thanks so much bye the Katie Helper show is edited by Ted Reedy our theme song is by the band Cordova we can grow our good fruit Fall like dry leaves and rot on the topsoil And be known by no name except people deep Goodbye